This podcast is sponsored by the American Society for Information Science and Technology. Since 1937, ACIST has been the Society for Information Professionals, leading the search for new and better theories, techniques, and technologies to improve access to information. By the IA Summit. This year, your peers and industry experts spoke about how topics such as social networking, gaming, patterns, tagging, taxonomies, and a wide range of IA tools and techniques help users experience information. And by Boxes and Arrows. Since 2001, Boxes and Arrows has been a peer-written journal promoting contributors who want to provoke thinking, push limits, and teach a few things along the way. For more events happening all over the world, be sure and check out events.boxesandarrows.com. Increasing our influence in the organizations we work with is a challenge we all face. That influence comes when we find the right opportunities and actions for our own situations. Threading the maze of business can be daunting, but we don't need an MBA to be an agent of change. Enforms Jess McMullen outlines three dimensions of the experience impact framework, including the elements of business, the fundamentals of user experience practice, and the kinds of impact we can have. I hope everyone enjoys the podcast. Cheers. So, uh, thanks for being here. Uh, I'm Jess, and how are we for feedback? Oh, um, and, and about, uh, almost five years ago, I started a company called Enform User Experience, and we're now at 10 people, and we do exciting things like, well, I could tell you client stuff, or I could just say we, we do trading cards. <laughs> um, so, uh, we really enjoy the summit and, uh, and really enjoy participating here. And I want to share some, some things with you today that I think are really important because I really believe, and I said this last year, but it's actually the same slide, <laughs> but I really believe that we've reached the point in our collective practice where the real barriers to progress and in increasing our influence with the organizations we work with aren't about more or better methods to work with users. It's about how can we work better with an organization. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. So all of us here collectively, we all are, are some kind of user experience practitioner. We all do something like this. We have a, a, an approach, um, not a methodology, an approach around understand, solve, evaluate. Um, and we have all these methods that we know and love. And that it really kind of boils down to um, being able to look out in this big group of people and understand somebody's individual circumstances and needs and, and to come up with something that's going to work for that person in that circumstance. Often, though, when we work with business people, we feel like we hit the wall, and uh, it's, it can be really frustrating. I think we get a lot more mileage from our methods and our, our work if we start to think about working with business the same way that we start to think about working with users. So if we pivot 180 degrees and take all those good things that we know about working with users, and look at business and say, well, hey, I can understand an individual circumstance and individual uh, needs and behavior, and I can come up with solutions for that, and I can figure out and I can evaluate uh, how things are working. So we can use our tool set that we have and pivot and, and use those in a business setting. And I've been calling those pivot tools lately, or pivot methods. And uh, the problem is, as we go along, how do we get those things adopted and how can we start to use those things in a business context? Now, I, I talked a little bit about that uh, in various places before, but I wanted to, to get down in a little bit more concrete uh, detail this year. So this is something I've been calling the experience impact framework, which is really way too many syllables 
and maybe we can talk about that one-on-one -on -one later, but it's, it's really, a, a, how do we choose the right tool for the job? How can we start to think about uh, different aspects of a situation so that we can make a good decision and pr provide more value for business? So uh, there's five steps that we're gonna talk about today, and they should be pretty familiar to you, actually. Um, we need to identify our audiences. We need to understand their motivation, their activities. Then, this is the part that's maybe a little bit different, um, is that we target our methods. Um, <laughs> that, that was great. Um, so we, we need to target our methods, uh, and, and this is kind of like coming up with the right solution for a design problem. We have to find the right methods for working with business, and then we have to commit people to action that we're working with. So, Step one, thinking about the audience. Uh, as we identify our audiences, uh, here's some things I think are useful. One of them is to think about, you know, many of you will be familiar with the idea of personas, and, and just kind of saying, well, how can we think about people that we work with in a business or an organization in the same kind of way that we think about a persona? So, um, and then we can also think about not just an individual persona, but a network of, of people. So. In this group here, we have a bunch of people who have relationships, and we can start to think about what those, that network looks like. And something that helps me think about that is eight archetypes, or, or eight kinds of people that I deal with when I'm starting to introduce uh, pivot tools and to apply user experience thinking in an organization. So the eight people are uh, the advocate, this is somebody who's on my side, right? So if I'm talking with Dave Cooksey and they say, hey, it would be really great to be doing some cool stuff, and Dave says, yeah, that'd be great, let's talk about that, then maybe Dave's my advocate. Um, uh, but even when we have an advocate in an organization, they have other people around them. So often they have a boss, and sometimes they have other people that they need to have buy-in from. So, so maybe if their peers don't respect them or they, they have, uh, or they feel like they're competing, that can be a challenge. Um, we also have the people who are on the front line. You want to do what? Um, it sometimes happens when we're in, uh, working with an organization. We also have people who take on different sort of characteristics. So sometimes we have to deal with critics, people who are going to pick apart our ideas or our approach. We say, oh, that won't work, or we've done that already, or why are you trying that that way, or that's really fluffy and soft, and you know, where are the numbers? Or, uh, but balancing off critics, we have validators, so people who can actually come in and say, well, you know what, we've done something like this before, and it really worked well, or I've seen that. And a validator isn't necessarily always inside an organization, and it's sometimes not even a person. Um, we have things like the analyst firms, and uh, and media, other companies, uh, that can all actually serve to validate some of the ideas that we're working with. And so, so when United Hemisphere's airline magazine published an article on ethnography in 2007, that was a real watershed moment for certain executives, because that, that's a, a level of validation that reading about it in a, an industry publication just doesn't have. Validators can also be like Jacob. Um, or, or Jared, or, or somebody else who's, who says, okay, here's, here's an industry leader who's going to say this, this is right. And validators can sometimes be the competition. If you're at Verizon, sometimes knowing that AT&T is doing something some way will validate uh, a particular action for you. So, 
The next kind of people, and the, the last one, but sometimes the most important are gatekeepers. These are people who um, might not be that involved in your decision or, or in the kinds of work that you're doing, but they have to sign off on something. So we call those people finance and legal, and sometimes admin, and sometimes it's a superior or a, or, uh, a VP, but, but it's somebody who has to give the green light. So uh, we work with one particular client uh, who has uh, an awesome ad, uh, senior admin person who manages the admin team there. And if she's happy, everything goes really well. And if she's not happy, then uh, it's a lot harder to get things done in that organization. So, so we really work hard to keep her happy. <laughs> and, and I think we do. And oh, lastly, this is actually, a, I added this in after talking with Donna Moore who uh, said, you know what, in my organization, I really have some loose cannons. And talking with Steven Anderson, he, he, we talked about Mavericks. These are the people who just sort of are the wild card in the deck. And you, you might be a critic, might be a validator, um, might just sort of throw things off course. But uh, sometimes it's worth thinking about those. So then we can start to think about, well, what are the relationships between these different people? So as we work to identify our audience, we can start to see what's the network that's at play here. And this is really a pretty simple diagram. But um, so I'm just going to walk you through what this might look like here at the summit. So here's me, and I want to do stuff with trading cards. Here's Priyanka, and she's actually the social activities chair for the summit on the organizing committee. And Richard Dalton, who's the uh, actual chair for the whole conference, so if I want to do something, then I, I need to be working with them. And I also have some gatekeepers. Oh, Vanessa, didn't, her photo didn't turn out. She was trying to hide from the camera. <laughs> and uh, as well as Dick Hill. And there's also peers on the organizing uh, committee, like Donna Moore. And there's people who are validators who've, who've supported different ideas about the trading cards, like Lou and Christina. And we also have critics who, I've never actually talked to Jason Fried about uh, the trading cards per se, but he certainly would probably say, well, oh, that's too complicated, and you should get real and just start building prototypes. You know, why do you need all these methods? Um, and then we have Mavericks who, like C.D. Evans, um, for those of you who've been at, at some former summits, uh, who is a, a character in the community who really is a loose cannon and is quite unpredictable about uh, what he might say about something. Um, and then we have the frontline people who actually, uh, my volunteers, Amy and Heidi, who are at the trading card desk, and uh, the ladies at registration who have to deal with it. So it's uh, uh, just thinking about how are all these things going to come into play uh, is really the first step. Just like on a user research project or, or on a, a project where you're brought in, looking at the organization and understanding those networks is useful. And so you can actually distill those down into personas if you want to, if you're dealing with a big enough group. Or you might just kind of think about the particular individuals. So thinking about, well, who is my advocate and who are their superiors um, and peers, then as you go through that, you start to think, OK, I need to satisfy not just this one person, but I need to satisfy this group of people. So then we need to understand their motivations. So. Uh, and I think there's really five mindsets that we run into a lot. Um, risk, reward, power, which is kind of a particular kind of reward, inertia, and something I'm calling vendorship. So how, how risk averse is someone? Are they open to doing something in a new way, or are they really uh, close to that? What kind of things do they think of as reward? If they see the stock price go up, is that the kind of reward that matters to them? 
If they um, get a corner office with a window, is that the kind of reward that matters to them? If they finally get service design in the trading card deck, is that the kind of reward that matters to them? Um, and, and often, though, in business, we want to be moving up and to the right in whatever kind of... Um, uh, and sometimes there's a special case of reward where people want to have influence and power in the organization, and that's so common, I think it's worth calling out, that we have people who are really into empire building, and, and recognizing that uh, is really important, particularly if you have two people who are building empires, and you have the Lydian Empire and the Median Empire. <laughs> um, Competing. So we also have inertia, or, or, and the biggest inertia that we encounter is what I, uh, Peter Schwartz calls the official future, which is the assumptions that everybody doesn't talk about in the organization about how things are going to be in the future. And that, that really impacts saying, well, why should we do something new? Because things are going to be the same in the future, and we don't need to, to look at that. So, um, and lastly, vendorship. Sometimes I think we're, we're like this guy who's selling hot dogs in New York. We just say, hey, want a site map? Want a taxonomy? <laughs> you know, I have a cart. It's full of deliverables. See, I, I pick them up all off the wall down at the, in the hallway, and I'm going to sell them to you. Um, and, and that we have this very transactional relationship with the people we work in, but that we should instead be uh, working towards partnership instead of being somebody who just supplies a service that we're really genuinely interested in the success uh, of people. And so then we can take those five factors or those five filters that people can look at the world through, and we can start to build a map about their motivation. So uh, really simply, we can just say, okay, I'm going to score those kind of on a one to three level. And I can say, okay, you know what? Here's Richard. He's the superior, and he's... He's concerned about risk, but he's really concerned about reward and particularly power because he's wanting to build this big empire at the IA summit. Um, and he wants to, to have uh, control of that. We have Vanessa here, who's our gatekeeper, and she really, you know, is uh, what if something goes wrong? And, and she doesn't have to worry too much about reward because it's her job. And then inertia. Uh, what are the ways that things have always been done? And I've, I'm maybe mischaracterizing what they're doing for the case of this. And then I have my folks at the desk who are just kind of, well, I'm here, it's not very much risk, and, and they don't have really strong feelings about the, the matter, they're just kind of stuck with it, but it, it isn't too onerous. Um, and lastly, this is somebody we didn't talk about before as the customer, this is the only kind of vendorship conversations I've had are people asking me if they can buy the cards. Um, <laughs> But uh, that it's been this very transactional kind of thing of saying, I, I just want this more, and, and, we, and that's the, been the concern so that they can get more, uh, more sets. So motivation, thinking about these kinds of things, the kind of mindset that somebody brings in, as well as that role that they're playing in your network, are really going to be useful, just like in understanding users, in understanding business. So... So then, just like we need to understand people's motivations, what are their objectives, what are they trying to achieve, we also need to understand their activities. And so understanding business activities is something that, um, at least personally, sometimes I lump business all in one big group. And so I, I've tried to break business down into to a more granular level. 
So business really is the conduct of an organization to achieve its goals. And that involves uh, execution, managing that execution, and, and leading and sending direction. So, and we do that to deliver an offering to a customer to generate revenue, which looks like this, or lately with the US dollar for us, it looks like this. Um, and, uh, but that we can start to think about business in terms of these different building blocks that we have with lead, manage, and execute. And we can start to think what kinds of activities are going on with these people that they're involved in. What, what are they responsible for? What are they doing in their daily life that uh, I need to be able to support them in? So just like we're, we're understanding users' motivations and activities, we understand business people's motivations and activities. And so uh, we can think about, am I helping somebody who needs to lead or to manage or to execute? When we look at that network, what kinds of things are they doing? And so if Richard is setting the direction for the summit, he probably has some different needs than Priya, who has to manage the social, all the different social events, or me and the other people who are actually doing just the trading card piece. And, uh, and so pitching something that would be really good for execution to Priya or to Richard isn't going to help very much. So as you consider the activities that people have, then you're going to be able to uh, to have that same understanding of what they're trying to achieve and how they're trying to achieve it so that you can fit in better with uh, what you're doing. So, uh, so then, ooh, maybe I'm going too fast. <laughs> um, the, uh, <laughs> I'm like, oh no, because I have, this is about 100 slides. Um, so then we need to actually uh, be able to focus in and say, well, what can we actually do to help people uh, in those kinds of activities? So just like we'd say, okay, um, what, what do I need to be able to do for users who are, who are doing this particular activity to achieve a particular goal? How can I help them? What kinds of things do I need to do to work with them? And so to target our methods, and this is just kind of a note. Uh, I, did, I think methods are different than methodology. Um, uh, the tools and principles are better than, than the set cookbook. But, uh, so methods don't necessarily mean methodology themselves. So what we can do as we target then is to look at these different activities and be able to say, OK, um, for people who are leading a particular activity or providing leadership in an organization, what kinds of tools do I have in my understand toolkit? What kinds of tools do I have in my solve toolkit? What kind of tools do I have in my evaluation toolkit that can really make a contribution? And then uh, secondly, to um, be able to, uh, uh, for people who are managing things, the same kind of, of questions. What, which tools are going to work for them? So as we look at that, we say, OK, we have this understand, solve, evaluate um, iteration. It's like, I don't understand. I feel like I'm on base at a baseball game, and Gina's like, go. Um, 
but uh, that, uh, that we can actually say, well, what, what are the right tools that we can use? Uh, and we have all of these tools around qualitative and quantitative analysis and synthesis and modeling uh, that we can help to understand something. Um, things like ethnography, things like surveys and questionnaires. Uh, when we come up to solve something, we have lots of architecture and prototyping tools and uh, interface and specification kinds of things and evaluations to say, are we doing a good job with things like analytics and heuristic evaluation, usability testing, and other metrics? So at the same time, uh, I really think we do hit the wall when we have a knee-jerk reaction, and maybe this is echoes back to what Jared was talking about, when we, when we sort of just run the playbook, when we say, oh, we have a methodology or an approach that we use, and, uh, and we're just going to do things this way. So in order to figure out what we need to be able to do with people in a business context, we have to have empathy for that. And that's why we're spending all of that time treating business people like users in, in the way that we're trying to understand their activities and, and their motivations so that we can really empathize with them just like, uh, and to be able to fit into that context and, and be able to say, I understand what it's like for somebody who's trying to lead a strategic initiative or to make their third quarter numbers or to actually get that last push to get something in by deadline. And, and so as we empathize for those kinds of situations, then we can start to use something, uh, we can start to use hindsight uh, from past experience uh, to predict future activities. So we look at what somebody's dealing with, if we have good empathy for them, we understand what they're doing, then we can actually say, let's say I'm, I'm down six months in the future, or three months in the future, or three years in the future, and say, you know what, it would be really, really useful for this person who's making a strategic decision if they had a better understanding of users that I could provide through some quick field research. Or, you know what, this person is trying to, to ship this system and, and get it out on time, and we have a real problem in knowing whether we're gonna be successful with that. Maybe we could do some really quick usability testing. We can't, don't have time for a lot, but we can uh, do that. Um, or somebody who's trying to, uh, to market a product, and we're working with them, and we find some things out and we say, okay, you know what, the people who are developing the product could really use that information as well. So we can start to look back, we can, as we have empathy for people, we can, sort of, we can predict the future. We can say, you know what, I wish I had this kind of information or this kind of activity to be able to um, find out what would work best for them. And we can start to, and I, I haven't filled this in here because it's so context specific, but that, that we can start to say, Okay, so if I'm dealing with my client um, and they need to think about insight and how they set direction, how they allocate resources and constraints and outcomes, which are the tools that I'm gonna use? And if you're interested, you can get a card from me and, uh, and I can send you the sheet. But uh, um, that, that I think this is a, a valuable exercise for us to, to think about, to say, well, how are we gonna contribute not just to product development or marketing, but to, to the other activities of the business. So that's targeting. And finally, um, mm -hmm. finally, all of this stuff is great, but, but we actually need to be able to go out in the world 
and to be able to talk to people and, um, and to get them to do things. It's, it's really easy to get maybe agreement in principle on something to say, oh yeah, users are important, or that would be interesting to know as we're creating our strategy, or when HR is hiring, maybe it would be uh, some of those tools that you have in something like Mind Canvas could be useful in the interviewing process. Um, that, uh, but until people commit, then you, you haven't really made much of a difference in, in the organization. So I think it's important that we all become a little bit of a salesperson. And I just felt a shudder kind of go through the room there. But, uh, but becoming a salesperson is, is not um, losing your soul. It's being able to say, I need to be able to, to have these ideas accepted in an organization. And so uh, to help people commit, uh, there's really four steps to doing that. Uh, the very first one is uh, building trust. That, that this is something that happens over time with individuals and in the organization, that you have to have personal relationships with people, you have to build your credibility through success on other projects, um, that you have to um, respect confidences that are shared with you, and you have to be able to, um, to actually perform uh, on the kinds of things that you say you will. And so as you develop trust with people, I think this goes beyond just pure, pure business performance. And it says, you know what? I actually care genuinely and authentically about whether or not you succeed in doing your job. So it's not just that I want to get what I want, but that I, I think that I need to make you successful as well. And that there's a shared relationship there uh, as we cultivate trust with people. And then as we have an opportunity where we think that we need to, to uh, take a particular approach or apply a particular method or tool that we need to ask open-ended questions. And we know this from interviewing users, that if we ask yes or no questions, we're not going to find very many interesting things out. Same thing with working with business stakeholders. If we're talking about, um, let's say I'm talking about the trading cards um, with, uh, with Priya or with Richard, then, um, then if I just say, uh, do you think we should do the trading cards? And it's a yes or no question. Then it's not a very interesting conversation compared to talking about, well, what do you think about doing trading cards this year? But then eventually we need to transition from that kind of discovery with open-ended questions to closed-ended questions. And this is, this is something I think that, that we have in common as we, uh, as we work with users, the same kind of skills as we work with business. But something that changes is not very often that we ask users to make commitments. <laughs> Will you, after you're done a usability testing session or field research session, you're probably not saying, "Will you become a customer of, of the website?" And then we're going to follow up on that commitment with you. And we just kind of say, "Well, here's your incentive. Thank you. Goodbye." And uh, sometimes for longer things, uh, we might touch base with them again. But with working with business, we need to actually ask "Will you?" questions to say. Um, uh, to actually get people to commit to particular specific actions. So, uh, so let's say I'm talking with Dick Hill, and, and this is a conversation I actually had the other day where last year Dick had, had contributed a, a summit sponsorship, well, a summit seat um, for a trading card prize. 
but there was actually some confusion about it that we had to go back through several rounds of email when it was actually time for somebody to collect on it. And, and, uh, and it, there was a little bit of confusion there, and I just wanted to check up with him. So, so how was that? Did, did it work out for you okay? Because I, I hadn't heard back after the confusion if we really had the right person who had, who had won, who had, was claiming the prize, and, and things like that. And so, uh, so I asked how it was, and he told me that, that things had, had uh, worked out all right. And so I then moved to, and this is just a natural kind of conversation. This is not me being Machiavellian. <laughs> you know, I need to get Dick to give me a prize this year. Um, but that, even though I do need Dick to give me a prize this year, <laughs> but that, that I need to, but that this is a, an authentic way of having conversation uh, that moves towards commitment. So last year, uh, then, uh, it worked out all right. And Dick says yes. And then when he's saying yes, then I say, well, will you donate a summit attendance again this year? And then he's able to say, well, yes, yes, I can. Um, but what if he said, well, maybe not? And then, then we're back to open-ended questions to, to understand, well, okay, what is it uh, that you're not comfortable with doing that? Or is there something else? It sounded like it went okay last year. Uh, is there something else that you'd prefer to do? And so, uh, so this is an iterative cycle with those open and, and closed-ended questions. And when you ask a will you question, you're either going to commit to a particular action and, set, and you can follow up on that, or you're going to go back to that, that beginning of the cycle. So we're going to take... Um, so in closing, I, I really think as we, as we work as practitioners um, and, and we work with the business, we can follow something that's very similar to the pattern that we'd work with users to, 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 work, with, to, to work with business stakeholders. And so as, as we understand uh, that audience, uh, to go and look out and say, what are those different roles that people have and what are their motivations? I, the kinds of tools that I'm suggesting here are really not cookie cutters, right? You don't have to talk about necessarily that you have a maverick or, or uh, necessarily that you have superiors or people on the front line. But understanding your influence network in your own personal situation is really critical, no matter what the kind of roles are. And then understanding what kind of things motivate those people is also really valuable. And that may actually be something that you can't discover simply on your own. It's, it, well, we can go out and recruit users to participate in a study. We can't just phone up the senior vice president and say, I'd like to interview a little bit to understand your motivations <laughs> so that I can convince you to buy into my project. Um, and so that's where we might have to work through third parties, maybe some of those gatekeepers or advocates that we are working with in the organization to understand what motivates somebody who we don't have direct contact with. Um, and then uh, the same thing with activities is, is we have that leadership, management, and execution. Um, we need to understand, well, what are their big projects and what's going on with them? And, and what specific kinds of things are they accountable and responsible for? And, Lastly, based on that understanding, just like we understand users, then we're able to target the kinds of activities that can provide benefit to those people. And as we have suggestions for that, then we can invite people to commit to a particular course of action. Will you provide us budget so that we can do a field research study? It's going to cost us 
about $10,000 and it's going to take us a week. Um, and so, so I think this commitment piece is actually the most critical, um, where, where, you need to, where we need to actually uh, be more comfortable as, uh, in that very sort of soft way to be salesperson, I think is very comparable to the kinds of talents that we have as a, as a community. So uh, those are the ideas that I, I wanted to share with you today and some uh, the examples from uh, thinking about how that might work here with me and the trading cards and the summit. Um, I'd be happy to uh, spend some time talking with you about some of that. So thank you very much. The slides will be up at slideshare.net slash nform. This is my email, our website, and my blog. And I'd like to, to spend a little bit of time talking and seeing, um, uh, talking with you guys about how these things might work with you. So questions? So thank you very much. Hi. Um, I don't know if this relates. I think it does. But sure. um, sorry, what was your name? My name's Eva Miller. Hey, Eva. Hi, Jess. Um, at my company, what we often find when we start engaging with the business client and figuring out the problem, figuring out what the brand needs, figuring out what the business problem is, figuring out what the users need, what we often discover is that a design is being used to try to solve a business process problem. Mm -hmm. Do you find that often in your work? Do you feel like your expertise extends to saying it's really more about, your, about people, not so much a website or a product? Well, given that my current gig is a governance project and not about a website or a product, um, I would say yes. <laughs> um, but, but in our practice, um, we have a, a fairly, uh, we have a lot of generalists in our, in our team. And, uh, but I also really truly believe that uh, a design mindset or design thinking can actually do a better job of solving business problems than business mindset can solve the same problems. Um, not always, but often. So, uh, I just wanted to ask you um, how much time you allot up front to uh, analyze the client. Say so you're starting a new project, so, um, so, and you see, and, and if you were to apply some fairly rigorous. Mm -hmm. analysis to who you're going to be working with and who the players are and so this, mapping that out. So, so it depends on your organization. Um, on who is going to be doing this kind of stuff, it might be an account manager uh, that you need to partner with to kind of get that intelligence on the client. Um, it might be other people on your team. And, and we often, um, as we come into... Uh, a new project, whether it's with a current account but new people on, uh, on the client side, or uh, new business altogether. This is a, a matter of you know, two to three days, and it's mostly conversation among the team that's been involved both in the pitch and, and in kind of the conversation as the project gets up and running, uh, as we finalize contracting and things like that. So, so not a huge so this is not 
because we're dealing with much smaller numbers of people, in, at least in the clients that we work with, we're not really needing to go out and, and interview eight different admins to understand, okay, this is our admin persona. Um, but that we do think, you know what, let's think about that admin group. There's six uh, women who work there. Uh, these are some of the different roles that they have. This is the person who manages them. And this is kind of the, those characteristics around, say, risk. Uh, and uh, do they just think we're a vendor? And they're just pushing kind of us through the red tape process? Or do they think of us as a partner in the business that we really provide value? So it's, it's uh, we don't produce a, a big bound report for use internally uh, with this kind of stuff. Austin? Yeah, so what, what someone's on the hook for, and? Okay, so if we're trying to understand what people are on the hook for, what's their reward, um, and what's their risk, then are we sort of expanding the scope of the project beyond our bandwidth to take it on? We've all of a sudden added this whole new set of requirements of making this person happy or making them look good or smart, as well as delivering something that's good. Um, the, the thing for, for us is really trying to align those two, so to say, okay, understanding that you have this commitment to ship on this particular date, then these are the kinds of tools or approaches that, that we can manage to deliver as a team. And so, it's, so it's really tying those two together and, and even using it as a constraint to say, well, if, if this really is the, the risk or the reward that, that we're talking about, then these are some of the implications in how we manage the scope of the project. So, um, other it? questions? Well, the... I do have time, and, and I actually said in my description um, that I would be open to, to sort of riffing on a, a particular situation with somebody. I don't know if anybody's brave enough to come up and talk about their own influence network, but uh, um, so we could do that, or we could just talk, or you guys could just get out and, uh, and get to break earlier. So semi-situation. Um, I'm Cindy McWilliams, and uh, my question, I, I actually thought it was very interesting that one of your um, points in your impact framework was commit, uh, because uh -huh. I think that's something that we often overlook, you know, as we're trying to do the right thing and yeah. execute, we sometimes don't make that deal with right. the, the business folks or the people who well, actually own Well, of course, because we're doing the right thing, it's the right thing to do, so why would we even ask for commitment, because everybody knows that that's the way to do it. Right, so... Um, <laughs> Some, any, any uh, examples or techniques you have for like, you know, making that deal, you know, with the, those business owners to do, to make that commitment to follow up, to do that, that analysis or that follow up with the, the customer. So if, I, so if I have asked somebody to say, will you give me the budget to do something? How do I follow up on it? Or how do I, sorry, I'm just trying to. Okay, so, um, so it's really this, this process um, 
there's a book called Spin Selling. There's another book called Trusted Advisor, and there's well, all the in, all the literature about influence ha has that kind of. Uh, we're trying to deeply understand what their concerns are, and then tie whatever we're suggesting into those needs that they have, right? So we're, we're trying to line those things up uh, as we're asking for commitment. So, so what we're doing is we ask those open-ended questions, we're understanding someone's point of view and their frame of reference, and then we can say, you know what? It sounds like you, you guys uh, are, are really struggling to have some traction on this project. Yeah, okay, yeah. And, uh, and that's after a conversation. It's not an opening statement, right? <laughs> um, you guys seem like you're really floundering. I, I can help you. No, that won't work. But, uh, um, but to say something like, uh, particularly if they've voiced that, that you know, we're struggling to gain some traction, and say, well, will you give me the opportunity to, to spend a, a week on, uh, on working on this particular aspect uh, of the project? Uh, and I think that that will really help build the traction that, that you're looking for. And they, they might say, well, no, I, I won't give you a week, or I'm not sure, and you can talk a little bit more about that, and then, and then we're coming back to the will use. But it's really about, um, just like with working in a, a user environment, where you say, I'm gonna understand that person's position um, before I design something for them, I, you have to understand that business person's position so that it's in their own interest. So, so you need to be able to present it in their own interest that they take on these activities when you're committing them to something. Um, and then follow-up is just kind of an ongoing conversation. Can I ask a question? <laughs> sure, you're the one with the mic. Um. Can you speak to the idea of you had mentioned selling your soul and you know becoming sales? Can you speak to the good feelings that can have? Like, like mm -hmm. I guess what I'm looking for is a little, um, a little cheerleading on how it doesn't have to be a bad thing. It can, it can Ab be a good thing. Absolutely, you. absolutely. So I think sometimes in this community, um, we shy away from marketing and sales because. Uh, we've had some bad experiences at some point in our career or other, and uh, that might be happening right now for you, and my condolences that you have to deal with it on Tuesday, unless you're flying American, then it, you might be delayed. But uh, um, no, it's, it's just, the reason that we need to cultivate that ability to influence an organization is because we really feel like we're gonna add value, we're gonna do things better, the, that despite what Jared was saying this morning about user-centered design doesn't whatever, Thinking about users is important, right? Um, and, and we have a lot to offer to the organization, and sometimes the organization is gonna sabotage itself if we aren't there to convince them and to guide them and to shape them and to influence the direction that they take. So cultivating those kinds of skills around influence and commitment and, and that can, we can learn a lot from the sales literature about is really about saying, well, you know what? Do you wanna do work that matters? or do you want to do work that sits and gathers dust on a shelf? So that's why it's important, I think, for us to cultivate those kinds of skills. And, you may, and it fits really naturally with your consultative strengths that we have in this community because it's really just about listening to somebody, understanding where they're at, and relating those particular needs to a particular solution, which is what we do every day. So.
probably the last question, unless it's very short. If it's a closed question, then it will be yes or no if it's open. <laughs> How do you feel about no? Um, it's, I'm sorry, it's not, uh, not a closed question. Um, I got the impression that what you were saying was um, pertained mostly to closing the deal, just getting the project started. Um, um, how do you feel about, or what, how do you fit in um, very long-running projects where you so get changing networks? And we, we, we have a client that we're coming up on um, three years working with, and we, that in, has involved multiple projects, and, and so right now we're actually working on three separate major projects um, with them, and we've had to, and as we've gone along in those projects, Maybe there's some change in scope. Maybe there's something where we've realized through usability testing we need to revisit something. All of those sort of inflection points in a project can use these kinds of skills. Not just at the start where we're sort of establishing the groundwork, uh, but also as we go along. If there's going to be a shift, any time where your project manager says that'll be a change request, there's probably an opportunity to, to have something like that. And, and maybe, hey, hopefully before the, you get to that change request, but there's that conversation um, that can use these kinds of tools. So that's, uh, that's it for today, folks. Thank you so much for taking your time here today. I hope you can have more influence in the organizations you work with. <laughs>